0: Welcome to History, Culture, and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. Over the next hour, Ingrid and guests will discuss how historical trauma impacts the human experience and how we can move towards collective healing. Now, here is your host, Ingrid Cochran.
1: Thank you for joining us. This is your host, Ingrid Cochran. Today, we're going to be talking with Agnes Woodward, and we're having a very special Uh, episode today that's really going to focus on a very important topic so um, today i think we're the third of the month so this is um, women's history month and we will be dedicating the entire month of march to talking to women who have created or are creating a legacy in the worldwide paces movement And so again, we're talking with Agnes Woodward today. And Agnes is using her knowledge of historical trauma and the healing power of the arts to raise awareness of the adversity indigenous women face and how they can heal themselves, their family and future generations. And so again, this is history, culture, trauma. Um, I am CEO of Paces Connection. And the purpose of this podcast is really to dive deep into the ACEs study and to talk about PACE's science. And so we are really excited to have Agnes here today. Agnes, um, this is a great episode, especially because we, we know each other. We actually have met in person in when I was um, a facilitator for the Midwest with PACE's Connection. And so please introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, so thank you, Ingrid, for inviting me to be here today. It's an honor to join you. Um, You know, I've been invited to a few of, you know, your presentations, and I always appreciate the invite. So my name is Agnes Woodward. I'm Nehiel from Treaty 4 Territory, and I'm a member of Kwakatoos First Nations. Um, That is in Saskatchewan, Canada, where I uh, grew up for the majority of my life. Um, and Nehiyaw means Plains Cree. So I am I'm Plains Cree. I currently live in North Dakota with my husband and my children. And I've been here for the majority of the last 17 years. We live on Fort Berthold reservation, which is home to uh, MHA nation, which is the Mandan, Hidatsa and Arikara people. There are three affiliated tribes living on one, one reservation. Uh, my husband's an enrolled member and so are my children. I am currently the project director for the Missing and Murdered Indigenous People Storytelling Initiative. Um, that's fairly new to Seeding Sovereignty, and um, I'm really excited about the project so far. The things that we've been able to accomplish, and I just look forward to um, you know future future programs that we'll be um, hosting through through that project. I. I'm an MMIW family member. I'm an advocate for many things. I'm an activist. You know, I do a lot of speaking engagements, grassroots community organizing. I am also an artist. I am co-owner of Recreations, a small home business that I started with my husband to um, promote our art, our art. I do applique work. I make ribbon skirts and my husband does like, uh, canvas paintings with a mixture of um, spray paint and like acrylic paints and everything that we do in all of those areas is to empower indigenous people um to strengthen our own identity and to encourage you know others to to also um just strengthen that identity and just be unapologetic you know in whatever spaces they occupy
1: thank you so much for that that introduction and letting people know who you are um when i thought about who i wanted to talk with this month you were one of the first people that came to mind and that's because i really appreciate um first how we met and how you uh, reached out to me right after i believe i I had done a a keynote speech and right after you and your husband came up to me and and uh, while well, I was going to kind of a tour of the Midwest, and so um, our interaction was very validating because you were like, yes, thank you for, for really talking about some really important issues. And, and so um, I that really stood out and it made me feel as though I was doing some good work, so. Um, yeah,
2: about that, like, okay, we were living in Indiana at that time, mm-hmm. you know, and the indigenous community there is like tiny, almost non-existent. And just being in spaces where, as we're learning about, you know, ACEs and trauma and trying to have those conversations in relation to our experiences and as Indigenous people, we were either met with a lot of silence because people didn't understand, or a lot of intentional, like, just being ignored. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that stems from, you know, racist views or what, but so when you spoke, it really... We were like out of our chairs, just excited.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is something that's common, either um, intentional um, erasure or just um, not really acknowledging kind of the plight and existence of people of color, especially in this movement. That that has definitely been the case. And so that's why I think it's great that we have people of color, especially indigenous people who are... Um, can kind of bring these two worlds together so we have just what we know our experiences as people of color and then bringing in the science that that goes along with adversity and having another language to to add to our arsenal because we already have our language to talk through it but then we have this gives us another language that is tends to be unfortunately more accepted Um, by the general public so um so yeah I, i definitely appreciated our meeting and so well let's let's dig into it what is your aces story how did you find out about the aces study
2: um so i found out about aces um so i'm a mom to five children i'm pretty good at multitasking you know i'm a seamstress seamstress and a curious human being who wants to understand things sometimes. Um, but there was a time where I was going through like it was probably the most difficult time in my adult life. And while I would be sewing like custom ribbon skirts, I would always listen to different audiobooks. And in an, an attempt to try and understand what I was experiencing at that time, I bought an uh what audiobook it was. The body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk and um you know he talked about adverse childhood experiences and just some of the things that he was saying i was just so fascinated that there was an explanation to what i was experiencing at that point in my life you know and it was completely validating for me and when i bought that book it like I said, it was because it was a time in my life that was really difficult. I was experiencing symptoms of complex PTSD, you know, like panic attacks. I was having trouble sleeping. Um, you know, I would go to bed at night, just fine, totally happy, having a good day, only to wake up in the middle of the night in like complete panic, um, sometimes jumping to my feet, you know, things that... Um, I knew weren't normal or what people perceive as normal. And when I would wake up in that state, I would feel like there was a threat, you know, and I'm like, my body is preparing for that threat. Only nothing was happening. Everybody in the house would be like sleeping just fine. And I had to realize, and I had to like ground myself and talk to myself that, you know, everything's okay. There's no threat around you the only threat is inside of you right now, everything that you're feeling, you know? Um, And I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't understand what, you know, what that was. And it was just really, really hard, really difficult to go through. So reading about ACEs, you know, put a lot of that into perspective for me um, and took me back, you know, to my childhood and realizing for myself, As a child, I experienced poverty, which led to a lot of instability um, throughout my my whole childhood. I witnessed a lot of violence. You know, witnessing my mother be beat in front of me several times. um, You know, experiences with like sexual abuse and the family violence that erupts from that. Um, You know, my father coming in and out of my life. just led to different feelings of abandonment which leads to questioning does he even love me which leads to questioning am I lovable you know why doesn't he love me like things that really affect your self-esteem for the you know pretty much the rest of your life you know those feelings and those experiences we know now don't just disappear and go away with time You know, um, and on top of all of those experiences, all those difficult things in life, I also experienced a lot of racism as a child, as an indigenous child, and not just from other kids in school, but adults too, you know, and trusted adults like teachers or principals and police, like mostly police, That was my experience in the neighborhood that I grew up in, seeing the way my parents were treated, the way that you would just be treated like you're uh, guilty of something. Um, Seeing the way that you know, yeah, mostly how my parents were were treated right in front of me. Making you know these connections from my childhood trauma to the current you know complex issues that I was going through um you know like that cptsd as an adult it all just made so much sense um and once I read that first book I wanted to read another and then I'm like youtubing it you know following the work of Nadine Burke and like yeah it just took me on a whole journey and um it's just been something that's become a big passion for me you know um, I did want to say that like one of my biggest breakthroughs um, on that difficult time was the moment that I realized that, yes, I have my childhood trauma, um, but everything that I was experiencing, it, it didn't just start with me. You know, my, my father is a survivor of residential schools. Um, my mother was a survivor of Canada's 60s scoop and for those who don't know what the 60s scoop is it was um you know foster and adoption a policy that basically replaced the residential school or came right after you know residential school started becoming less common and closing down um there was policies that allowed you know social services and these different agencies to take indigenous children from their homes and place them in non-native adopted homes or to, um, you know, foster foster homes. And so my mother was, you know, four years old and she only spoke our language, uh, she only spoke Cree when they took her. Um, and so just learning those things about my parents, you know, and that they were four years old and six years old and that they lived in fear until they could escape those situations when they were teenagers. And so having compassion for my parents through my own experiences uh, relating um, them as parents to me at that time going through all of those uh you know panic attacks and things like that relating you know their life to my own it was really a huge moment of of healing for me
1: yeah that that is great that moment of healing um, is often associated with our understanding of trauma, but then being able to take that understanding of ourselves and then looking at our parents in a different way, um, Mm -hmm. then allows for us to really think about what it means to heal through generations. And I think that that is one of the most important things that we can discuss today, uh, because, there's two things at play. First, this is what we would call intergenerational transmission of trauma. So, I'm a, a psych professor, so I have all of these sciencey terms. But, um, but intergenerational transmission is really, um, you know, it's very impactful because when you are going through situations as a child that are the result of your parents' trauma and their background. Um, what happens is you tend to see those situations as normal, um, and, and you often cannot see what needs to be addressed in your life because you see it as, you know, this is the way that things are. And that could translate to parents. It could translate to your, your neighbors, your community as a whole. Uh, and so, um, intergenerational transmission of trauma is very difficult to address because it takes even some time we get well into adulthood before we even say okay this is a traumatic experience or these these patterns are not healthy Uh, and then when we add on historical trauma which is really the focal point of this um podcast is look at the the history of our country and, and basically the history of the world And we will see that we have these historical events of the past that were collective in nature that still impact us today. And that's kind of these root um, issues around racism. Uh, And so on top of the um, trauma that one may experience within their lifetime, when we add historical trauma to the mix, then we are dealing with the traumatization of of our ancestors and how they adjusted to that trauma and those uh, adjustments become cultural in nature. Uh, And so it, so then no wonder when we get to the point where we are parents, um, then we have these PTSD like symptoms that are triggers around parenting. Um, as we kind of relive our childhood, we see ourselves and our children. We want to protect them from things that we experience. And then we're like, oh, this was unhealthy, or oh, this was this was a traumatic experience for me that I wasn't even aware of until now. So what you're talking about is is very common when it comes to trauma passed down through generations. Yeah, it's um, I don't
2: know that you know, having the information out there is just so important because I just think about um, if I didn't have that, if I didn't, ha- you know, if I didn't even buy the books that I was, you know, that I purchased. How would I have handled and come out of what felt like such a dark moment in my life? And it, it does. When you're going through that, it affects your ability to be present in your children's lives, you know, and and being present in their life is part of breaking those cycles you know um but at this point in my life when i was going through those things and this was you know um i'd say five years ago and i mean it started slowly before that when i think back to um just certain things it started uh maybe eight nine years ago where i would go to sleep but if my thought was and I ask my husband, did you lock the door? Sometimes he says, yeah, and he did it, you know? So I will be like, okay, I'll believe him, but I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up, like, did he lock the door? I'll go to sleep, is the door locked? Like my mind will not stop and I'll get up like, you know, five hours into going to bed and check every door in the house to make sure that it's locked. Like little small things that led up to, um, you know, waking up in full blown panic attacks. And even if I lock the door, still waking up like there's just a fear that stayed with me um and again just having that information is what really helped me to not only understand what I was going through but also relate a lot of what I was reading about you know the healing process relate that to things that I grew up hearing within uh you know my culture um and so that that definitely strengthened me as an indigenous person and it was very validating and it made me feel like even more confident as an indigenous yeah. woman we knew that we already know this you know like you know this already
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's what i was talking about before having a, another language to to talk through this because we have one already Mm-hmm. I, I think this in your story always makes me think about how, you know, how important Pace's Connection is, like that there are people out there that kind of just happen upon the ACEs study and now it's really beneficial to their lives. So, you know, my goal in Pace's Connection's goal is to make sure that everyone knows about Pace's, that they understand how impactful adversity in their childhood and also the positive experiences that they can have in their childhood can really shape their development so that they feel equipped to be able to address these things in their lives. And um, when it comes to historical trauma, not many people know about historical trauma. And, and so I definitely want to you know um, talk about that because um, when when we come to historical trauma, there is, again, just the higher likelihood of having complex trauma in your lifetime if your skin is black or brown. And um, and what we're really saying is that just, you know, even before you're born, that there are situations going on in our society, that make it more likely for you to experience trauma in your lifetime if you're coming from a group that has experienced historical trauma. Um, And so in um, here in the United States, that is for sure uh, indigenous peoples and um, descendants of of slavery. Mm -hmm. And historical trauma is insidious. It's, It's definitely very pervasive. It's passed along through parenting, but even our understanding of this issue Um, it came about in the 60s through studies of um, Holocaust survivors and their children. And um, Mm -hmm. even, you know, even that, the fact that it just, we just began studying it in the 60s, the fact that um, our studies really focused on um, Holocaust survivors and really didn't um, acknowledge Indigenous people or descendants of slavery, um, until really well into the 80s and 90s did we get to the point where we began to have kind of this social, cultural view of anything that dealt with mental health or psychology. Um, what are your feels on um, the little, you know, the small amount of attention that's being paid to historical trauma?
2: Um, it, it's really difficult to see. I mean... And it's really difficult to see the way that people tend to—I um, don't want to say—almost ignore, you know, the experience of Indigenous peoples. Um, I have, you know, a, a good relative um, from here, MHA, and he calls us modern-day ghosts. You know, that's his term, because as much as we talk about um, You know racism and things in in the united states um and in canada you don't it just feels like what indigenous people try to express over and over that the way that like you'll see um you know like the indian princess costumes or you'll see like uh us on like a like a thing of butter and milk like just stereotypes that really play into how society views us and it plays into you know the erasure of just our our contributions you know to to these countries and um just our history in general like there's just no acknowledgement and so i don't know i just feel like historical trauma is um just hard for people to really understand from an indigenous perspective, um, just how important it is for everybody, you know, to really take the time to learn, um, you know, the experiences and how indigenous people are still affected today.
1: Yeah, I I had one of those moments of realization in, in the last couple of years, I think it was about two or three years ago, I was reading an article and I believe it's the New York Times But I may be mistaken, Um, but there was an article about climate change and um, I was very intentional. I was looking for articles focused on climate change because it's it's a very important topic. And uh, I was reading it and it said in the article that they were kind of reverse engineering uh, and looking at the past to see climate trends. And they came across a... um, a period of time where there was a marked change in in the climate uh, of of North America and that it really coincided with um, with the genocide of indigenous people in, in North America. And so basically what it was saying was that so many people were murdered during that time and that it changed the climate. And I thought that that was just astounding, just millions and millions of people. And obviously that erasure, the physical erasure is is traumatic. Uh, And as we move to current times, modern times, we have definitely erased Indigenous people and their experiences. And I think this is something that needs a great deal of attention, obviously. Uh, but as we look at the Paces movement, um, and we have these initiatives across the country that are um, built around uh, addressing adversity, um, and these these movements largely do not discuss this issue. Uh, mm-hmm. It is um, you know it is obviously rooted in this um, white centered, white focused understanding of. Of mental health, of of human development, of our of our you know our society as a whole, uh, and this has allowed us to you know be complacent in this erasure, and mm-hmm. so I want to make sure that as Pace's connection moves forward, that we are centering historical trauma in our work, so that we can highlight that um, reparations, restitution, all of this needs to take place. So that we can have um, a healthy conversation around how we address, you know, trauma—not just in certain groups or in one main group, really—but mm-hmm. that we look at how trauma manifests differently for different groups.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Definitely. I think um, you know the ratio is just. I mean, it starts as young as uh, elementary school. you know what I mean? Just my kids have had different experiences um, going to school on on the reservation and also in a state where they're the only indigenous child like in the school, you know yeah. and each each uh, experience um, is completely different, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, has its challenges, and you know, on the reservation, they they hear their languages. They feel a little more comfortable because they see see other Native students, um, and in somewhere else, you know, when it was like Native American History Month, and they would talk about um, tribes way back when, you know, we mm-hmm. lived in um, you know different structures and just in a real historical sense, everyone would turn around and look at my my daughter and she would feel embarrassed because she feels like they're talking. She would say the way she described it was like, everybody was looking at her, but the way that they talked about Native people was like, we didn't exist anymore. So it was really confusing experience for her, you know?
1: Yeah, I definitely understand that, that just looking at the past and not thinking about what what does it look like today? Mm -hmm. So we're going to take a break um, and we'll come back and we'll talk more about historical trauma. Um, So please stay with us as we take a break and we'll come back and talk more with Agnes Woodward. Thank you.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to History, Culture & Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. If you have questions for Ingrid or her guests or want to share your story, join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Here again is Ingrid Cochran.
1: Thank you for coming back with us. This is Ingrid Cochran, CEO of of Connection, and we are talking with Agnes Woodward today. Um, we're really um, talking about historical trauma and how Agnes has taken um, basically her own trauma Uh, and kind of converted it into how she uses the arts to heal herself and her family. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that as we move forward. Um, Before the break, Agnes, you were sharing a story about your daughter and really showcasing how, again, that um, historical trauma uh, and that intergenerational transmission of trauma throughout generations is still prevalent today today. Um, and basically helping us to understand that um, the erasure of people of color in this um, PACES movement is um, really highlighting some gaps and shows that the movement itself is deeply embedded in in, in our white-centered um, view of trauma and how we can address it. Um, so I definitely think that my interactions with you in the past have really helped me to think through um, Pace's connection focus as we move forward. Because mm-hmm. one thing that comes up a lot in our internal work is um, is our work being is our work too political? Um, should we be uh, discussing these things like voter rights or um, you know other issues that seem to be a little disconnected? Mm-hmm. from um, the initial ACEs study. And so whenever I talk with people like yourself, that helps me to understand that yes, because when we think about an intervention for a child that's experiencing trauma, what that would look like, it's gonna be different based on those on those experience. It's gonna be different if we have a, a child that comes from historically traumatic background. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you were saying about your daughter, um, there is an identity piece that's important when we think about addressing trauma from, um, with, with groups that have experienced historical trauma. There's a, a need for the building up of positive racial identity. Um, there's a need for, um, you know, because historical trauma is often paired with the stripping of historical practices and the practices of your ancestors, there's a need to bring that back um, to the center and that those practices are then healing because again when it comes to historical trauma is often tied to identity mm-hmm. um and i and i so i definitely want to ask you know what do you believe your role is in the paces movement especially when we talk about your ability to use art as healing mm-hmm. um and what do you think your legacy will be within this movement
2: um well You know, I've really, I've been taught by my parents to always carry forth the teachings within, you know, our culture and part of my healing journey has allowed me to turn to ceremony and to culture as a way to stay grounded. Um, And I've really come to realize that, like I said before, there's so many similarities in our teachings and what is taught in like therapy Um, What is taught um, as ways to heal from adverse childhood experiences. So I understand that, like, Indigenous communities already have tools within its own culture, you know, to address those issues and really heal collectively. Um, Identity is so important. Becoming confident in who we are um, as Native people is really imperative. Self actualization to me as an Indigenous woman means that. Now that I have the tools, now that I have the confidence, now that I have the strength, I need to carry forward what I've learned. And there's a responsibility to share what you know with others, especially future generations. Um, you know, to create more cycle breakers. Um, and you know, there's a teaching that wealth shouldn't be about what we have; it should be about what we give to others. Um, and giving information that can lead to healing can be life changing for people. And I think that I share my story because it's proof of that, you know, art is healing. And there's like, this is the part that was so reaffirming for me is that there is now scientific studies that prove art can be healing for trauma. Movement can be healing for trauma. Um, being in nature can be healing um there's even you know drum groups that science has proven these drum circles can be good for healing trauma which probably border on (laughs) cultural appropriation but um (laughs) the science is there and even you know some of our medicines like I remember reading an article about sage and how like they did this study and they were actually able to prove that Particles within the smoke actually cleaned, helped clean the air. And, you know, it's something just things like this we've always known. You know, when we are doing bead work, quill work, uh, ribbon skirt work, that's art. That's an expression. You know, a lot goes into that. And ribbon skirt making has really helped me to, you know, through that cultural um, expression of art. Um, When it comes to movement, we've had. You know, we have our powwows. Um, that's not like super traditional. That's more of like a, a social gathering, but we have other things too, um, you know, within our ceremonies and we have, you know, as Cree people, we have round dances, which is an uplifting time for us to come together. And that's a certain dance, it's movement, you know, and you feel good when you do these things. Um, you know, being in nature, there's science that backs, you know, that up too. And as Indigenous people, we've always tried to live in relation with the land. You know, um, with the drum groups. You know, like I said, drum drumming is a big part of. You know, almost every, we all have different forms of these things um, across different Indigenous nations, Um, and same thing with the medicines. But like I said, it's just reaffirming to see that things that we've always done, things that we've always known things that were even outlawed in this country at one point um, is now, now be, and the thing with it, like that study with the sage, what's insane is, you know, I believe it was in the sixties or seventies when um, you know, the laws changed for that. I'm not sure the exact year, but, but it was outlawed at one time. Um, and now you can walk into the dollar store and buy a sage kit. Be, you know what I mean? Like, It's just so frustrating to see um, the silencing of us being able to express ourselves but have to deal with all this trauma and then have, you know, our ceremonies and medicines things outlawed, the things that help us, you know. And so now there's a real disconnection um, for a lot of Indigenous people and you find a lot of Indigenous people trying to find out who their family was, trying to find out what it means to be Indigenous, you know, and there might be You know, let's say an Indigenous woman who is trying to connect to culture and maybe ribbon skirts weren't a part of her culture, but ribbon skirts have become like a part of clothing that anybody from, uh, you know, any Indigenous background can really wear. Um, If that helps her feel connected to herself, I think it's an important thing. You know, if learning how to sew and make a ribbon skirt helps somebody feel connected and grounded and like you slow down in the movement of creating and um, just that whole process offers healing. I I think, you know, that that's really important. And I just love how all of these uh, different science, you know, things um, have just validated what we always have done and have always known. And, you know, realizing that is why you know, I made T-shirts. that would say Indigenous knowledge is power because I know that that we there's there's just uh, Indigenous knowing that we've always had. You know, and going back to that to help each other, I think is just just super important. Um, and so I just feel like my role within this movement. Is to take all of that understanding, the understanding of trauma, and implement it in every space that I work in. Um, and I, I talk about Aces a lot. <laughs> I use every opportunity to try and explain this study, especially to you know young people. Um, I don't believe that there's an Indigenous person that can't relate once you hear you know how the study, the outcomes, because like we said, our our history, not only in Canada. In the US, but South, it's really steeped in colonial trauma. And understanding that we're all children or grandchildren or descendants of historical trauma um, is really important. And, you know, I just carry that understanding with me everywhere because it's just impacted the way that I see the world. Um, And so when I, oh, go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I was just going to agree with you that the when it comes to the science, it, it's such a double-edged sword there because science is also used against people of color and indigenous peoples, mm-hmm. mainly as a way to justify, you know, their mistreatment. So, mm-hmm. um, so as science is actually coming back around and acknowledging um, how indigenous practices are actually rooted in the laws of nature and that there is benefit um, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally to engaging in Indigenous practices and using Indigenous medicine and traditional medicines. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it really is um, showing that we have lost a lot of resources and time and the ability to heal ourselves as we have taken on kind of this Western science or just believed in the ideology of race in the first place. So you know the the reason why um, these indigenous practices and traditional medicines have not been able to be used in a real way over these years and have kind of been villainized is because of you know in the 1700s and the 1800s there was this narrative that indigenous and um, Africans were savage that they didn't have culture they didn't have civilization and so therefore their practices were immoral and and evil and uncivilized Uh, and thus we lost a lot of um, practices um, that could benefit not just those indigenous groups and and Africans but just everyone and now we're coming back around to say oh there is a lot here we can use these practices to heal ourselves Um, you know there's more than just western medicine and western science and so, and, and this is really, you know, what we call like, you know, scientific uh, colonialism, just using science as a weapon against certain groups and using science as a way to uphold, um, you know, whiteness and um, basically white supremacy. It's 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 very interesting to see how science has been used as a tool, but then also has given us a space to, to to highlight what's actually the case, which is that indigenous practices and traditional medicines uh, do work and have merit.
2: Yeah. um, You know, a big part of when I read a lot of these um, articles that like reaffirmed it, it actually kind of like ticked me off to read because Mm -hmm. there um, usually is no credit to indigenous people for for those practices you know um and they're usually appropriated after that um and there's just like i said no credit to indigenous people and um and again it just made me more confident to just turn to my culture and trust um in our teachings that we already have you know and trust in the different ceremonies that we have and that i don't need to follow along with everything I read, like I take what I can and I use it alongside our teachings and our ceremonies. Um, and that's what's worked for me, you know, and I'm not saying that works for everybody, but for my healing journey, that that's definitely what what's helped is utilizing what I can from the science standpoint, but also just trusting in, in my ways, um, you know, in the Plains Cree, Cree teachings and, even my husband, you know, he's he's from a different nation, but I learn a lot from him, too.
1: Yeah, that's, I, that is great. I and mean, thinking through how we can use, again, this scientific language to, to tell us what we already know and hopefully mm-hmm. spread it to others who have been really kind of indoctrinated into this Western way of thinking. Um, so. Let's shift and think. You know, what is the future in in a couple ways? So, what is your what does your legacy look like in the future? What's next for you? But then also, how do you see this movement? Um, you know, the paces movement shifting over time, and what's what's the big picture with the paces movement as well? What do you believe that will look like? Um, as far as the legacy, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a tough. <laughs>
2: Question to answer, Um, but just for myself, all I want um, is to leave the message that life can be good. You know, healing is possible. Happiness is attainable. I just want my people to know that they are loved. They are worthy of love um, and self-love. And I would really like to see um, within society just more solidarity for our people. I I think that our communities deserve a lot more, uh, you know, solidarity than, than we get. And like I said, we have the tools in our communities, but we don't always have the resources. You know, and healing spaces and ceremonies are super important for us, but they're not always accessible to everybody. And we have relatives in in our communities all across Turtle Island, which is Canada, US, you know, um it's all indigenous people who live in extreme poverty and how can we expect anyone to focus on healing from trauma when they continue to live it every single day you know and that that's one of the most frustrating things that it's like some of these issues are so deeply uh embedded in our communities that it's hard to see our way out but as of right now like the future I feel like it's it looks more promising than it ever has um, because, like I said earlier, all this information that we have already available helps you know everybody who 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 takes the time to learn and understand. And I feel like right now, more than ever, we see like people talking about trauma and things like on you know every every social media every. Platform that there's out there, especially uh, you know TikTok, Um, and they talk about you know how trauma comes up in your life. They talk about you know your maybe your unhealthy adult behaviors and the relation to your unhealthy childhood behaviors. And like it could be one video that you know encourages somebody to go and look up you know more about what what they're reading or seeing. And hopefully, you know, it leads to more people just educating themselves about what um, PACES really is and how important it is to focus on, you know, those positive experiences as well. Um, and for myself, you know, currently I'm the project director for Seeding Sovereignty's Missing and Murdered Indigenous People storytelling initiative. So being trauma informed in that role is really important. Because many of the stories that are shared with me are about of unspeakable violence, you know? Um, and, you know, within Missing and Murdered Indigenous People, when I talk about that, I always talk about my family's experience as a way to try and humanize those statistics. Because I just feel like sometimes when we read statistics and things, it's just like, it's sterile. It feels so far removed from what it actually feels like when you're going through it, you know? And so I try to humanize that, um, with the storytelling, um, aspect, but I also use ACEs as a way to help people connect, um, you know, the historical trauma and how all of that is just all intersects. Right. And, you know, with my mother being a 60 scoop survivor, that's like an example of um, the historical trauma part and with her mother going to residential school and, you know, all the generations of residential school. And so my mother surviving that with her sisters and one of them later in life was, you know, murdered. Um, one of my sister, my mom's sisters was murdered later in life and how even those things are preventable, you know, um, but yeah, I'm also excited to start working with some Indigenous youth on different workshops based on understanding um, historical trauma and our resiliency as Indigenous people. I'm in the process of designing what designing what that will look like, but I'm really looking forward to to sitting with these youth, with uh, you know, connecting with them, planting those seeds of information. I'm going to be part of a workshop for Indigenous women, and it's going to be called Big Auntie Energy. And the Mm -hmm. sessions hosted by me will be very much like Pace's focus, healing through ribbon skirt making, um, and just honoring ourselves as matriarchs. Um, In many Native cultures, you know, aunties really play an important role in our lives. And for myself personally, I don't know where I would be today if I didn't have aunties Um, to take me in and the times that my parents, uh, you know, struggled to care for me or if I didn't have aunties to step in and buy my winter coat or my winter boots when my mother couldn't afford it. Um, Even today, I don't know if I would be as strong as I am as an indigenous woman, if I didn't have my aunties to call on, you know? So being part of something called big auntie energy is like super meaningful to me um, because that, that big anti energy has saved me so many times you know in my own life um but for me that that's what where my future is in this movement just continuing the work whether that's through ribbon skirts and you can connect everything you know with our artwork you can connect it with um you know these different workshops just just yeah even within the MMIP work that I do it's it's all connected you know
1: yeah i'm very excited to see what's coming for you and and i definitely see you as part of the larger paces movement um when i think about what the larger movement what what's the future is that we really are able to bring this science to everyone and so you are an agent of that you you are making sure that this science gets to everyone and and so I really um, was drawn in by your story. When I definitely was drawn in when we met, I think um, your ability to uh, again heal through art is extremely important, and also your ability to um, bring this science to a group that may not have interacted with this science is is very important. Um, please tell us a little bit more about. Um, your initiative and then definitely let us know how we can be connected so any social media um, websites uh, any resources that you want to share please um, share that share anything that you want with our audience so they can know what you're doing know how to find you and also any other resources especially around uh, missing and murdered indigenous women
2: yeah certainly um <clears throat> so for the The program that I direct at Seeding Sovereignty, um, information about that can be found on seedingsovereignty.org backslash MMIP. And uh, as an organization, we chose that acronym um, MMIP just to include, um, you know, all peoples, whether it's boys and men, women, girls, or, uh, you know, however anyone, Identifies Two Spirit LGBTQ plus community, um, and really what I do on there is host virtual storytellings. Um, most important thing is that before before I host these storytellings, I I have a pretty good relationship with a lot of these these family members, um, and so establishing a good relationship is is super important, but. On the other side of that, we have uh, an account on Global Giving, a page on Global Giving, where we collect donations. And all those donations allow us to pay an honorarium to each storyteller. It allows us to help families who are currently searching for their loved one. It could help with gas money. And I know we're running out of time, but real quick, I have um, an initiative that. or a goal that we're trying to reach of 200 care packages to mail out before May 5th to MMIP families. Mm -hmm. Um, May 5th is a national day of awareness for MMIWG and I think that taking this time to really show people we can center, even in the middle of a pandemic, we can we can center families and make them feel cared for and held and acknowledged on that day. Because often they're left out of those, those healing circles, those marches, those um, platforms. Families don't get to speak for themselves. There's always advocates or people who aren't families speaking on behalf of them. You know, and I want to just try and constantly remind people we have to center those who are closest to the pain. Um, And so, again, that can be found on seedingsovereignty.org backslash MMIP and then Seeding Sovereignty on Instagram and Facebook has, you know, every post and information and ways to support there.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that with our audience. And we are going to close out for today. Thank you so much, Agnes, for joining us and be on the lookout for our next um, session where we will have Dr. Sandra Bloom. Thank you so much. See ya.
0: Thanks for listening to the show today. We hope we have helped to give you a better understanding of trauma and how historical trauma affects the human experience. Join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. We wish you a beautiful week.